In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. A few months before our wedding, my wife-to-be proposed that we try out this exercise that she had read about in a lifestyle blog, this thing called the Marriage Journal. The idea is that each week a couple asks each other a series of seven questions, recording their answers in a notebook. And they are the same questions each week. And the hope is that this practice becomes a sort of habit, that time is carved out each week to check in, to express gratitude, to be vulnerable. I said, sure, let's try. And for the most part, the questions were pretty straightforward. Things like, what brought you joy this week? What was hard this week? How can I pray for you? That first week, we were breezing through the questions until we got to question number five. Has anything gone unsaid this week? Are there convictions, confessions, or unresolved hurt that we should talk about? Convictions, confessions, unresolved hurt. On this one question, we spent nearly 45 minutes. It turns out that when we actually took the time to ask ourselves this question, there was quite a lot that had gone unsaid, not just in the past week, but in fact, things that had been sort of steaming on the back burner during the five years we had been together. And despite being a couple with, I think, healthy communication, we realized that that day there were things that we had nonetheless neglected, hurt that needed addressing, conflict, that needed resolving, apologies that needed saying, and forgiveness that needed extending. Almost four years later, we are still doing our marriage journal weekly. As of this week, our church has entered the season of Lent, a time marked by reflection, fasting, and penitence. Originally a period for new converts to prepare for baptism, Lent over the centuries also became a time for those who had been separated from the church to be reconciled to the assembly. Eventually, this opportunity for pardon and absolution was extended to the whole body of the faithful, making Lent a time for all Christians to acknowledge their failings, confess their sins, and seek God's mercy. And the church suggests several ways for us to mark Lent, habits and rituals that help us to embody the season. Fasting from food or earthly pleasures, works of mercy for the poor and the needy, prayer and reflection on Holy Scripture. Here in our sanctuary, you'll notice not just a change in liturgical color to purple, but also a certain bareness. Candles have been removed, and flowers replaced with leafless branches Our opening hymn today 
replaced with the great litany, an intercessory prayer asking that God hear us, deliver us, have mercy upon us. It's less that any of these Lenten practices necessarily do anything in and of themselves. It's more that taken as a whole, these rituals help put us into that penitential spirit. They, they stir up something in us. Leaving our Ash Wednesday service this past Wednesday, one parishioner commented to me that it was a very evocative service, and this is exactly the point. Not dissimilar to marriage journal question number five that allows my wife and I to address those unsaid things, our Lenten habits similarly help us to come face to face with unsaid sin, to surface failings that need addressing and to bring all of them before God. This is a difficult discipline. Lent is by design a somewhat unpleasant season. And it's complicated by the fact that Lent also comes with certain traps, ways we can sometimes go astray. These are traps that I myself have fallen into in past years. One trap is to make our Lenten disciplines into nothing more than a checklist, just something to get through. And thus, we spend these 40 days just skimming along the surface instead of doing the deep, transformative work that we are called to do. Another temptation is that we make Lent all about our own personal sinfulness, that our bleak liturgies and fasting failures send us into a pit of despair. There's a fancy word for this, scrupulosity. (laughs) A deep and unrectifiable sense of shame. This is a sin, my brothers and sisters, that I am guilty of often. Given all this, it is worth remembering why we are going through these Lenten practices in the first place. Why we're bothering to dredge up the dark debris of our lives. And it's because we can trust God with all of it, especially with the parts we are least proud of. We are reminded of this fact in our epistle reading for this week, and Paul's insistence that the free gift is not like the trespass. One of the things that Paul is doing in this admittedly elliptical passage from Romans is drawing a comparison between two broad categories. On the one side, which are typified by Adam on the one hand and Jesus on the other. On the one side, we have sin, trespass, condemnation, death, and on the other, we have free gift, grace, justification and life. And Paul is making this comparison to draw attention to obvious differences and to thereby encourage his readers to leave behind the former category and to live fully into the latter. But more than that, when Paul says the free gift is not like the trespass, he's not just saying there's a difference, he's also saying there is a fundamental imbalance between these two categories. The free gift far outweighs the trespass. The power of God's grace is far greater than that of sin. We can trust God because in the struggle between sin and grace, this is not a fair fight. God's grace is a superabundance. And in a way that makes absolutely no sense, It is into the landscape of sin, a sin that has spread throughout the whole world and into each of us, 
that the one free gift enters and brings justification. New life on the other side of death. Perhaps you've already decided on your Lenten disciplines for this season, but if you're still considering options or open to suggestions, humor me as I provide one. If you go into the front of your pews, there should be a red book, the Book of Common Prayer. Please, if you wouldn't mind, grab it. Open to page 447, 447. You will find the right for the reconciliation of a penitent, commonly called confession. Some are surprised to learn that this is in our prayer book, thinking that this right is exclusive to Roman Catholicism, but it is in fact found throughout Anglicanism and also in Eastern Orthodoxy. And in the notes concerning the rite on the preceding page, our prayer book is clear that this liturgical rite is just one way in which the ministry of reconciliation is practiced by the church, because it's also indeed practiced in the way in which each of us as Christians forgives one another. And it's also practiced in our corporate confessions that we do at each public service. When it comes to private confession, there is an Anglican adage that holds a lot of wisdom. All can, some should, none must. None of us are required to give private confession, but for many, it can be a powerful way to do this work of surfacing that we are called to do during Lent. To face sins that we have had a hard time letting go of, things that have been troubling us, and to receive absolution, to experience and to accept God's superabundant grace. I've checked with the rest of the priests on staff, and all of us are available to hear confessions, really at any time during the year, but especially during this season of Lent. For those of you who would like to make the rite of reconciliation one of your Lenten disciplines, Just come find one of us or send us an email and we will schedule a time. Perhaps in the days to come, there will be some of you who have never given a confession before, who find that you are interested, but nevertheless nervous or embarrassed or unsure having never done it before. Well, as a new priest, I am yet to hear my first confession. So it will be new to me too. I promise you, we will figure it out together. We can trust that God can hold whatever it is that you have to share. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.